Welcome back to the Dad Chronicle. I'm your host, Alex Albisu. This is episode 67. On today's episode, I talk to a guy that I've been looking up to for a while. This is Hammond Chamberlain. He is a podcaster, a producer, a guy who's obsessed with music, and he's also an awesome dad. We talk about what it's like feeling a bit overwhelmed as a new parent, especially when you're working night shifts. It was just one of those moments where I just wanted to go sit in my, uh, my garden after the big snap and not talk to anybody. We also talk about some of the health struggles that his daughters have had very early on in life. Uh, she didn't know what it felt like to not be hungry. Hammond also shares how the time he spent working in a jail impacted his perception of emotional response. I see crying as a total manipulation. Here's my conversation with Hammond Chamberlain. Hammond Chamberlain, thank you for joining me on the Dad Chronicle. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm feeling a little uh, out of my element because I'm on this side of the microphone. How does it feel? It's weird. I'm out of control. It's like sitting in a car in England and the steering wheel's on the wrong side. You see, just just sit back, Hammond. I've I've got you. I I will guide you on this journey of conversation and fatherhood. This is going to be a wonderful conversation. I've actually really been looking forward to sitting down with you. You and I spent quite a bit of time working together uh, recently on America's Next Top Podcaster, so it was an absolute pleasure to work with you there and uh, and to be talking with you here. You uh, enjoying your time on the other side of that show? Yeah, actually, it's uh, it's nice to get a break, but I'm actually really excited to get started on season two because uh, both Brian and I seem to have some pretty good ideas that kind of are in line with each other for the structural changes as well as some of the challenge changes. Very good. Yeah, the, uh, the website, by the way, for folks um, who may not know of it, I mean, I mentioned it here on the show, but it's America's Next Top Podcaster.com. And in fact, you'll hear some of the, uh, I've been doing some episodes for that recently where I've been interviewing some of the, the guests and the judges and the coaches and stuff for that show. Um, it's been a real treat. So I, I, I just, uh, we, we had a conversation ourselves on that. Yeah. You're, you're doing a bang up job. I actually feel like uh, I can hang up my interview hat for that part of the show and let you just do it because I'm I got plenty of other hats to wear for that show. You, you do, dude. You are happy to do it, by the way. But yeah, you are a very busy man. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what it is that you do for a living. Um, we're going to jump into that uh, a little bit later on in the show. So folks, stay tuned for that. But before we even get there, let's jump into what your uh, family life is like. You have a wife. You have two daughters. Would you like to introduce us to the family? Yeah, and well, I'll start with this too. I was an only child, and my dad was military, and I went to like fourteen different schools in eleven years of school. So the idea of consistency wasn't something I was familiar with. So I have lived in the same state now since nineteen eighty-eight, which is unfathomable to me when I think about it. And uh, so I got married in 2000. My wife is Stacy. Um, we have two daughters. One is 14. Her name is Sydney. And then I have a 10-year-old, and her name is Audrey. And uh, Sydney is playing competitive volleyball, wants to play it throughout. She's already got goals to play through college. Uh, Audrey rides horses and does theater, and then Sydney does the backstage work in theater. She's gotten bitten by the backstage bug. Yes. And you had a bit of that yourself. And, you know, before we even move on, something that was a really funny, small world between us was that you and I were talking right before America's Next Top Podcaster was kicking off. We were doing like the little intro uh, interviews. Mm -hmm. And uh, one thing led to another. And we were talking about how I live in the Northern Virginia area. And you used to live in this area. And not only did you used to live in this area, 
we went to the same high school. Yeah, we did. Uh, I went to Hayfield High School. Uh, I was there for part of seventh, all of eighth, and most of ninth grade. Yeah, and it's changed a lot, man. I mean, you said sure that. Has. Yeah, you said that you've been living uh, where you're living now uh, is since 1988. So just to put it in perspective, I was born in 88. So <laughs> kind of puts it in perspective for you. All of a sudden, I feel substantially older than I ever thought I would. <laughs> I like doing that to people. I hope you... Uh, uh, that, that's me feeling very mentory at this point. Yeah. So it's just really funny to see that uh, th- everything's going you know, full circle. I love it. You know, here we are on the other side of, of our time at Hayfield working together on podcasts and it's just a blast. So, yeah. uh, your wife and kids, you have a lovely wife. I got to meet Stacy at TMS Vegas. Um, she's wonderful. I didn't mm-hmm. get to meet the girls. Um, uh, were, were they at Vegas? They were, they were up in the room. We ordered them room service. Uh, the reason Stacy came down is because she was actually going to take them to see Ka, which is ah. the, which is the Cirque du Soleil show at MGM. And Stacy's, I think, has seen it now six times. She's the only woman I know who needs season tickets to Ka. <laughs> uh, it doesn't change, does it? No, it does not. She but just she loves just it. loves it. She goes <laughs> once a year, maybe twice a year. Uh, she finds reasons. Every time she finds a group of people who haven't seen it before, she buys tickets and goes down with them. It's really funny. That's really funny, dude. Yeah. And it, it, if you haven't seen it, it's a visual spectacle. And it's one of the few Cirque shows that has a storyline. So it's not as weird as like Mystere. Mystere is super weird and kind oh, okay. of off-putting. Oh, okay. Interesting. I didn't, yeah, I didn't realize that, uh, that it had a story. So that's pretty it cool. Does. Mm-hmm. Um, now let's talk about your kids. So how old are they again? 14 and 10. So 14 years ago, Hammond Chamberlain becomes a father. What was that like for you? Uh, well, I will tell you what happened. And then I will tell you what's going through, what was going through my mind. What happened was my wife gave birth and then I fell asleep for the next two weeks. <laughs> okay. I kept complaining about how tired I was. I thought she was going to murder me, but I'd been working graveyards and the ah, whole idea was right. very stressful as far as parenthood was. And so I, I couldn't, I just couldn't force myself to stay awake and I slept an awful lot and fast forward to when Audrey was born, I wasn't going to fall asleep for the life of me. And everyone kept saying, it's going to be a while. Go ahead and take a nap. I'm like, no, I'm not falling for your trap. And so I did not, and I did much better with Audrey, but it was very overwhelming. And I think I might've been sleeping one, cause I was exhausted for whatever reason, but two, because I think it was my way of kind of, I don't want to say hiding, but I definitely felt really unprepared and really overwhelmed by the, the, the prospect of having someone be, entirely reliant on upon me and Stacy. I mean, that's a full-time responsibility to keep something alive that I hadn't really taken the grasp of until it happened. Well, so now looking back at it, I I mean, what would you tell yourself 14 years ago? Uh, be scared. <laughs> uh, don't fall, don't fall asleep and uh it'll all be okay because She's going to turn out at 14 smarter than you ever have been. And then when the second one comes along, uh, we turn, we come up with a phrase. My wife's come up with a phrase that, um, that, that Sydney made us parent or, you know, mom and dad, uh, Audrey's made us parents. Mm. 
because the work of being a parent with Audrey is, is it's a, a lot more work with her. Yeah. It's fun. She's a great kid, but there's, it's a lot, there's a lot more to being her parent. Yeah. And we're going to talk a bit about your kids and that dynamic and what that kind of means as we get a little bit further into the show. Um, and you know, before we tackle that, I want to learn a little bit more about your social work experience. Some of those graveyard shifts that you were talking about. Do you want to shed a little light on what your work life was like prior to the kids and even in those early years as uh, you were a father? So I graduated from college and I was hired directly out of school to work at the prison. And after a short time there, I realized that I was not built for that kind of uh, work. Just there is something about that type of work. It wasn't the environment. It was the actual work because I ended up working in those kind of environments the rest of my career. Shortly after the prison, I got a job working as a crisis worker in a county jail, and I spent the next six years basically working to keep people alive in that jail. Uh, Once I got married, my wife was like, hey, I have a really good job, and this job is really not any good for you anymore, so go do something else. And so I started working in theater because that was my minor was technical theater design. And so I spent the next five, six years building sets, hanging lights, stage managing, resident stage managing. It was great. I loved it. It was a ton of work. Didn't pay very well, but I was doing really what I wanted to be doing. And then uh, when it was time for us to start a family, my wife was working. I was working. After about a year, she said, I, I, I have to be home. And I'll explain a little bit more about that as we talk about the health stuff. Uh, she goes, I just I have to be home. I can't do it. So I ended up working two jobs. I was working a full-time job and a part-time job that basically sometimes would be end up full-time hours. Other times it'd be less, but I was working between 60 and 80 hours a week for the next nine years. Wow. And, uh, I, my interactions with my young, my oldest daughter, when she was in those really young formative years was kind of limited. We used to carve out specifically a night for me to take her, in the car with me, we'd go to Target, we'd get ice cream, we'd buy some popcorn or a pretzel at Target, and then walk around the store and look at stuff and just kind of hang out. But it wasn't until I was able to back away from the second job, and she was already significantly older, that I started actually being able to develop a, a much more fatherly relationship with her just because yep. I had time to. Was it was it ju- it was just because though you were working those weird hours and not being able to spend a ton of time with her was that the main reason? That was pretty pretty much it because I would I would uh, basically I'd come home from the jail and then sleep until uh, most some mornings Sydney would tuck me in because she would still be home. Oh, and so she would tuck me in and then um, I would sleep until I don't know maybe like two. And then I'd wake up and go to one job, which was at a treatment facility. Uh, and then I would take an hour after the eight-hour shift there, drive to the jail, spend eight hours working there, and I do that every almost every day of the week. I mean, obviously, that's not sustainable. It was it was it was nine years. Yeah. And when I finally when I finally was able to leave one of those jobs, it was weird how much time I felt like I had because I just was didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and here you are. Okay, so uh, I'd like to understand what led Hammond Chamberlain into being, you know, part of this uh, ecosystem of the Frog Pants community 
<laughs> that is uh, doing. Okay, wait. How many podcasts? We've been through this before, but how many podcasts are you doing now? I'm I'm on three, producing two others. So you got a lot on your plate, and now you've jumped into this really full time creative role, mm-hmm. uh, and you're doing some of the social work piece uh, on a contract basis. Mm-hmm. So how are you able to now juggle all of this in this context now? Because it's still a lot going on. Yeah. It, and basically it's a lot about planning and carving out time. I mean, luckily they, I mean, right now the kids are in school. So when they're at school, I do a lot of work. Uh, I end up doing a lot of driving because my wife works full time. And so I'm usually driving to school and then head dropping, hitting the contract gig. Then after school, I, I leave my contract gig, pick them up, come home. We have dinner together. I could do a few things. It's really just about planning and communication. We, we've got it planned out. I, I, I learned when I was working in theater that you always have to give yourself one day off no matter what you do, no matter who you are. Yeah. You have to give yourself one day off. Uh, when I was working in theater, they just happened to be Sundays. And so during the week now, I kind of schedule, schedule it so that one day during the week, I don't do anything except like hang out. So it's, and that's it's powerful important to do that. And that's so important. So I've, I've recently learned to do that because I've got so much going on. It's a similar thing, right? Like I've got my day job uh, and then Aria gets home from school. You know, my little two-year-old goes to daycare and then she'll come home and, you know, Deanna and I spend some time together and then I'm up late editing or creating podcasts. And what I found is that I end up putting something on my calendar Every single day, I don't give myself a day off. I don't give myself a rest day. And you need to because yeah. it, it it even if it's something you love doing, uh, I don't go in my office at all on Sundays. That's my the main day, just because we take my my youngest to horseback. We come home, she jumps in the shower, and then we hang out for the rest of the day doing whatever, playing games, working in the yard, go see a movie, whatever. But I don't go in my office at all on Sunday because I know if I come into my office, I'm going to sit down, hit the space bar, my computer fires up, and all of a sudden I see something I have to do. Yeah, like today I came down here and just thinking, oh, you know what, I'm just going to sit down, uh, not even fire up Logic before I talk to Hammond and do all this recording. Uh, But you know what? I got to get through this other edit that I've got to just kind of get through. I'm sitting here anyway. I might as well do it. But that is so like it is uh, it doesn't sound like a lot of work when you love it. Right. But I think the there's a certain like limit on your creative capacity that ends up getting tapped out. And what mm-hmm. I've been finding is that as you're doing more of this stuff, it just it gets closer and closer to that tap out. So got to find that time. You well, and the other thing time. I do, too, is I don't it's weird, but I only listen to podcasts in my car. And that's only in one direction. The other direction, I listen to a book because I don't want – I want everything to be balanced. I want everything to be equal. I don't want it to burn out on any one thing. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very careful about how I even plan my consumption of things. Like when I'm doing interviews leading up to a film festival, I have to pound through you know, 10 movies or shorts to get to a point where I'm, I'm familiar enough to talk to these people about what they've done. And I have to pace myself. You know, I start in January working on that so I can do the interviews in March because if I don't, there is no way I'm going to remember the nuances of five short films that all star Zoe Bell if I 
cram them in my face two weeks before I do the interviews. Right. Right. I'm so, exaggerating. I saw two movies this year that had Zoe Bell in it. They were both shorts. <laughs> yeah, but still, I mean, the, the context is the same, right? Like, you have to, you have to um, find the balance. No, and, and I really like that bit about, you know, scheduling it out. That's something that I've started doing, too. And for the listeners out there, if you're thinking about how you've got a lot of stuff that you're juggling and uh, you're trying to think about how you approach all that content that you're trying to create or all that work that you have in general, it's really important to look at your calendar holistically and mm-hmm. see because because what'll happen for me is that I will look at it day by day and I'm like, oh yeah, I got I got an opening here on my calendar. I'll just I'll just do that thing there. Oh, and I got an opening here, and then all of a sudden I realize I've gone three weeks and I don't have a free day. Mm-hmm. It's you true. Gotta look at it, and, you know. And I think very important too the the empowering necessity of saying no. Yeah. Um, when. When someone asks you when you're – I mean even now I believe very wholeheartedly and if someone asks you to do a thing, you do a thing. But when I was working in theater, there was a period of time where I was working on nine productions in the course of three months. And it wasn't like I was doing run of show for all of them or I wasn't building all of them. But I was pulling a paycheck and some sort of job from nine different productions over the course of three months. And when I was done with that, I'm like I can't, I can't do that anymore. And then I had the same thing happen when I became a podcaster. I once scheduled four interviews for the same Saturday after for the same Saturday. And when I was done, I just didn't want to talk anymore. I was done. I was yeah. worn out. I was done thinking. I was done caring what other people had to say. I just I it was just one of those moments where I just wanted to go sit in my uh my garden after the big snap and not talk to anybody. Yeah. Nice pull. Nice pull. <laughs> Saw that saw that movie finally the other day, by the way. No spoilers. We won't talk about it, but it was very enjoyable. I had a good time with it. Yep. Um, <laughs> uh, so let's uh, let, – I'm glad to hear, by the way, that you have found that balance because I still feel like I am finding it. Um, and, it, takes, it takes practice, yeah. and there are going to be times where you fail and overcompensate one direction, and then you will overcompensate the other. And the pendulum will swing back and forth a little bit before you find that that perfect sweet spot for you to be in. And your sweet spot might be where you have a day and a half, where it's you know Saturday into Sunday where you don't do anything. Or maybe it's just half a day you need. But you know, as your family grows and as those needs of your – the responsibility of outside, like inside your own home kind yeah. of grow, those always take priority. So my scheduling always starts with what's going on with my wife and kids – and then everything else builds in around that. Yeah, yeah. And that's a way that I – it's funny that you say that because that's what I have been really looking at. When I look at the holistic schedule, I also take into consideration, okay, how much time am I going to need to even decompress for a day if we've got a big family day the, like on a Saturday? Yep. Friday, I don't – I shouldn't do anything because it will – I need to just – kind of relax and chill so that then I can go out. I'm I'm an introvert, so believe it or not. And so like when I, my whole thing is like, I like to be alone and just recharge before I go out into a social situation. (laughs) That is really important for me uh, when I'm considering how schedules look. Well, and one of the things I have built into my commute is my commute. If I drove as the crow flies, the fastest route, I could probably be anywhere I need to be within 30 minutes. But because of the jobs I've had and the kind of decompression that you need to take to 
build up to that when you're heading into work and the time you need to kind of shake it all off when you're coming in, when you're coming home, I add distance to my and time to my commutes so that I have more time that way when I at the door, when I get home, I'm ready to be a dad. I'm ready to have, have comp, silly conversations about, you know, movies and friends and music and whatever with my kids and my wife because I don't need to drag some of the, the insanity that I've dealt with at work to my house. Oh, totally. Yeah, that's a really good point. Build in that extra time in your calendar to say, I'm going to go from X point to Y point and then I need the time in between to to relax and build that in. That's so yeah. That's and cool. I also I go through I catalog what happened with the day on my way home. I'll say I had this interaction. How did it go? Do I need to follow up with anything? And then I kind of start just processing the day, and it gets it to a point where when I pull into the driveway, I close the garage door, I'm walking in the door, it's all taken care of. I've I've zeroed out basically my desk. I've cleared my desk in my head of the things I need to, so that I'm I'm good being home. And then the next day on my way in, I go back through that list. What do I need to take care of today? What was left hanging over? Do I need to follow up with anything? Uh, who need, Who do I need to talk to? Who do I need to coach? And then as I hit that door, I'm already in mindset for the work. So there's no, oh, let me get all settled into work. I put my bag down and I'm ready to work. Yeah, I love it, man. Well, you know, it sounds like you've got a really good handle on how you're uh, handling this time with your girls. And, and I want to talk about your daughters now at this point, because time management in your situation, which we're going to talk about now, is going to is, is such a key piece. So why don't we start from the beginning? Let's talk about your oldest daughter and some okay. of the challenges that you faced in those early years of her uh, of her life. So when Sydney was born, she was already kind of small. She wasn't premature. She wasn't. Um, there was nothing that said anything other than she was small. She was, she's always small. She's still very short. Um, but she had a, her esophagus at the top of her esophagus was constricted to the point where you couldn't even get rice to go through it. I mean, she technically didn't have a solid meal until she was about two, maybe two and a half. Uh, she didn't know what it felt like to not be hungry because she just wouldn't eat. She was always throwing up. She would throw up till the point where she would get weak and pass out. I remember there was a, a month where pretty much every week we raced her to the hospital to get fluids because she just lost consciousness throwing up. Oh my God. Yeah. She was, she, and we found out two things. We found out that she, like, she's not just lactose intolerant. She's got no lactose in her system. So really? like, like milk, she can't have without having a lactate first. Ice cream, she takes two lactate. Pizza, two lactate. And then she can eat it. If she doesn't, she's miserable. She's she's a miserable, miserable person uh, if she doesn't prep by taking those those little chewable lactates before she has any kind of dairy. Then then she had the constricted esophagus. So at about two, two and a half, she was still the size of a baby doll. But she was talking complete sentences, which was really off-putting to see. Because That's weird. She, yeah, she she was the size of a, a a large Madame Alexander doll, but she was talking to you like she she was you know an alien. I mean, it was it was <laughs> amazing how smart she was. Is she gonna hear this and be like, Dad, come on, man? No, she 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 knows this. <laughs> I told I said I'm gonna say a lot of stuff. I love it. That's but so she's funny. super smart, and it was just one of those things where she was this tiny thing, but she just was talking like a regular person. 
So we got the throat fixed and all of a sudden she started eating and then she started growing. And so all of a sudden she got on the growth charts and all of a sudden she started really flourishing and she's been, she's been a champ ever since. I mean, she's playing volleyball now at a very competitive level. She's, she's, uh, you know, active in school. She's doing theater. She's, she's, she's doing great and she's got friends and we've had to deal with some bullying issues recently, but that's middle school for you. And middle school sucks from everything I was told. And my experience, my experience of middle school is very different because I was always the new kid. So it always kind of sucked. Yeah. It it sucks. It's, it, it, I mean, from my experience, I, I went to the same school, you know, well, you know, we both went to Hayfield, but Hayfield was a secondary school. And so you start middle high school, I mean, it's just a socially awkward part of your life, and some people are going to be a-holes, some people are going to be great, and some people are going to enter your life, some people are going to leave your life, and it's a good way to kind of kickstart life in general. Well, and also, the thing that Sydney is good at is she's good at communicating. She doesn't she doesn't rely on texting. She likes to talk to people. She wants to be in the same room when she talks to people. Heck, when she was in fifth grade, she did her own podcast called The Between Us Podcast. It was life as a, a fifth grader because she was a tween. So it was the Between Us Podcast. Ah, oh, cool. And I produced it, and she did it for about a year. And starting this summer, Audrey's going to pick it up and do it because now she's going to be a tween. Oh, neat. Oh, that's so, fun. But it's one of those things where uh, she is quite the communicator. So her friends who are more iGen kids, their communication skills aren't the same. They're not the same level of uh, sophistication, I guess. And she doesn't understand why people won't actually just talk to her about what's going on. Why can't they just talk about the problems and solve them? Why can't they just put it out there and be done with it? What's your opinion on that, by the way? As a parent in this generation raising a kid her age – What's your opinion on the use of electronics and this total, like this entire social situation that we're talking about here? I'm really torn because it's a necessary evil because you have to learn how to navigate it. But at the same time, when it's the only way you communicate with people, it does stunt you because you're not going to have a business meeting over text. You're not going to be able to Snapchat your boss to ask for a raise. Yeah. Uh, If someone's uh, someone's bugging you at the office – you're going to get called into HR and you're going to have to sit across a desk with a mediator and deal with it. Yeah. And the ability to have a, a, a healthy, normal, productive conversation while you're looking at another person in the eyeballs is still a skill that we need. I don't know how much longer it will be a skill we need. <laughs> As of right now, it's still a skill we need. And so we've kind of helped. We haven't limited. We haven't really – you know, I set one rule, and that's when you're in the front seat of the car with me, you're not on your phone. Mm-hmm. If you want to play on your phone, get in the back seat. But if you're in the front seat with me, you're not on your phone. Yeah, and I'm actually very curious. Like, you just nailed something there for me. I'm very curious about how you guide your kids, knowing especially your background in some of the work that you've done in these sort of social situations. How do you guide your kids through, a, <laughs> through an experience like middle school? Uh, it's hard. I actually, it's very much a team effort. I'm very much a, if it's a problem, if someone's being a problem to you, then be done with them. Move on. You don't need them. It's too much effort for you to worry about. Why stress? My wife, on the other hand, she's more of the, since she's, she actually had a regular middle school experience. She had siblings or a sibling. She knows these things. And so she's far more the go-to on how to deal with some of this stuff because she knows she's much more 
socially savvy about dealing with people. I'm much sure. more of the, oh, crying, it's an angle. It, they're manipulating you. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't put up with any of that. If, I, if it smells like they're being manipulative, then I'm done. And so I'm very – she's got a group of friends or people – I won't even say friends right now – that are, are being kind of weird and they're not being exceedingly nice. Yeah. And every day I pick her up and she's like, I'm done with this group. I'm like, OK, great. The next time she gets in the car and she goes, I'm totally done with this group. I'm like, OK, when are you going to really be done with this group? And then she gets mad at me because I'm being – I don't understand. My wife's like, you don't understand. I'm like, okay. Still, if you're done, you're done. If you're not done, don't tell me you're done because I think you're done. Yeah. How do you, so how does your wife deal with it? And have you ever watched how she handles the situation with her my, instead? My wife is Obi-Wan Kenobi when it comes to dealing with social situations. <laughs> I'm telling you, my wife would win Survivor just based on her social game alone. She could actually sit out all the physical competitions and still win based on her social game. Everybody would just love her too much to, and she is sweet, yeah. dude. She's, she she she's would just great. be able to, she just wow them with the fact that she's just so good at social stuff. That's and so I feel funny. like sometimes I, I feel like I'm pretty good. I, I, I can work a room. I can tell jokes. I can move through a crowd. Everyone is like, oh yeah, but Hammond, Hammond was nice and funny, but man, his wife is great. It's true. That's the way I thought. I was <laughs> like, wait, oh, oh, that's right. Hammond's here at dinner. Oh, I, I couldn't, I, I forgot because Stacy's here. So I'm just kidding, by the way. Well, the thing is, I mean, she sat down next to Gidget and the two of them talked kind of through me the entire dinner. I'm like, I'm going to move down here. <laughs> uh, the, yeah, Gidget's the social butterfly as well. Just <laughs> it's so funny. Um, you know, kind of backtracking for a second with your with your oldest daughter. Obviously, that had to be a really, really stressful first couple years uh, mm-hmm. as a father who's first of all scared because you're not really sure how you're going to keep this thing alive to begin with plus she has all of these uh health issues so how did you get through it uh lots of it's just relying on each other my wife and i really kind of relied on each other we we did a lot of tag teamy stuff like i said when i was around i was tag teamy but mostly my 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 role was to facilitate her being able to stay home so that she could take care of her and get her through this and figure out what was going on. Cause our first pediatrician's like, ah, she'll get hungry. Don't worry about it. She's not eating Senator bed hungry. Oh, like, what? She, yeah. He didn't even run any tests. He didn't do anything like that. It wasn't until we like, okay, we're taking this into our own hands that we figured out what was going on and we made the changes. We did the stuff we needed to. And then all of a sudden everything started to fall into place. But it was, it was a lot of, you know, trial and error supporting, uh, telling my bosses sometimes, I mean, there was one night I remember I was running a group on communication and I got a phone call in the office that said, we're, we, Sydney's passed out. She's not responsive. I'm taking her to the, to the ER. And I just, as I'm running out of the door, I called my boss and said, Hey, Sydney's going to the ER. Uh, we're in ratio. I got to go. And that was the end of it. I didn't even care what she had to say after that. Yeah. Not well. Yeah. I mean, what do you do? That's your kid. You, you mm-hmm. handle it. Um, and, and so let's also fast forward now to your, uh, your youngest who mm-hmm. had her, who has her own set of challenges. Do you want to yes. share what that is? So Audrey, uh, when a few years ago, we realized that her eyes weren't tracking, right? So we had to go through what's called eye therapy. Well, oh, and Sydney had texture issues. So we actually went to food therapy with her, which mm-hmm. is a thing, but 
yeah, we thought she was brilliant because she learned how to use a fork and a knife really early. It's that's actually not good because the playing with food and being messy and the, the, the textures and squishiness of playing with food, that's actually a learning stage that people need to hit. Really? I had no idea. So I should let my daughter yeah. uh, mm-hmm. play with her they applesauce. They want spaghetti okay. and put it on their head, let them, because that means they don't have an issue with textures, just, which means that they'll be a much more uh, adventurous eater when it comes time. Oh, it's such a mess, Hammond. It's <laughs> such a mess. Yes, but it's a necessary mess. Now that you know that, <laughs> you, know, you that's- actually dump it on her head yourself. Name the episode, A Necessary Mess. <laughs> Love it. Um, that's better than what happened when I was on Nicole's show. We ended up calling it Two Peas and a Turd. <laughs> well, I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so Audrey had this thing where her eyes weren't tracking, so it was really slowing down her reading. And so we went through eye therapy for a long time. Um, she had to go through speech therapy because she was having some issues forming some letters uh, but she was still just struggling in school. There are certain aspects that she just wasn't getting. But the thing is, is she would pick up, like she knows all about the different types of nebulas. She loves science. She has, she will find articles and listen to things on, on the internet about, like there was this shipwreck years ago that all these Legos washed out into the ocean. And then years later, they start washing up on the beach in Australia and in Africa and in Galveston, Texas. And there's this whole article about currents and tide patterns and buoyancy. And she sucked all that in and remembers it and can spit it out as she's giving the lecture. So she's able to cover a lot of things just by her skill set that she has. And she's also got this really dynamic personality. People love being around her. She's super funny. She's had a really sophisticated sense of humor since she was a kid, like really young, um, but just recently, we went out to Denver, and she was tested and found out she's really, really autistic, and she's or not autistic, dysplastic, and dysgraphic. What is dysgraphic? It means that it's not being able to have good, uh, like spatial relations. I think. Okay. And she, just the idea of tracking words and relating things is difficult for her. Um, interesting. So how do, how do you deal oh, with that? Like, what what are some specific examples of her exhibiting that behavior? So like her reading, she's been able to read, but it takes every ounce of her concentration to read. Mm. So she's not able to really comprehend because she's putting too much effort into learning the words. Her handwriting, she's a lefty, so her handwriting is already going to be skewed. Then you throw in the fact that she's concentrating on forming every single letter. She's not able to keep up with what's being said because the translation from what's being said by the teacher into the brain to turn it into letters that she can put onto the paper – She's lo- losing things because she's putting so much effort into being able just to write. And if she tries to keep up, her handwriting just falls apart, and it looks like something you found on some ancient Sumerian text. So how, so, do, you, how do you deal with that then? Like, what so do you do? There are tutors. There's mm-hmm. apps. Uh, there's a, a, um, a pen that actually works in conjunction with the paper, and so it records the lecture for whatever the teacher's saying. And as you're writing notes, um, it timestamps it so that if you put the pen down on the note, it recites the time code so you can get back what the teacher said. Oh, cool. Is she using so, that at her age? Yeah. She, we're, we're actually going to get that for her. Very cool. And we went to a – my wife took her to a, a, a forum just recently, like a panel discussion. And this one girl's like, yeah, she's in college. And she's like, yeah, sometimes if I get really lost and I can't track, what I'll do is I'll draw a picture on my notes 
And then when I get home, I can put the pin on the picture and it'll spit back out that piece of information that I can actually translate and put, put into my notes properly. You know, another thing I wanted to bring up, you and I spoke about your wife, um, staying home with the kids and you working a couple jobs. Is it primarily to take care of, of your oldest at that point, or was she staying home for a long period of time with both kids? So what happened, it was initially because of Sydney and then Audrey came along four years later. Right. And because the success and the impact we knew that she had on Audrey being home or on Sydney being home, we just figured until we can make it financially work, she'll still stay home. And then shortly after that, like three years later, I, my, I got a promotion, I got a job title change and, and things got better. Right. Okay. So then you were, you were in a better situation to deal with the challenge that mm -hmm. you were facing. Okay, good. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Um, so you're dealing with a lot of really challenging situations, raising kids. Mm -hmm. You have this background of social work dealing with very challenging situations. <laughs> At what points do you see these roads cross? You know, it's funny. Um, for a very long time, everybody I dealt with was up to no good. And it colored my opinion of the world and even of the kids. Like, like I said, I see crying as a total manipulation because when I worked in the jail and when I worked in treatment facilities, anytime someone broke down in tears, I never believed it. I always thought it was some way to distract or manipulate or kind of move the issue away from what the problem was. How often was that true, by the way? I, I don't know if I could give you an answer because I, I don't know. I just got really on guard about it. Sure, sure. Understood. Uh, it was I, – I don't know if I could quantify it because in my eyes, everybody was doing it. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> I mean that, that's also a product of the – The uh, environment the that environment. I worked in. Bingo. So um, it took me a while to get over that because now, like when the kids cry, they're they're real actual reasons they get upset, and I have to get beyond that. They're being manipulative. They're trying to hoodwink me. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes they still are, but I'm less likely to go that route first. Yeah. Oh, that's good, uh, and I'm glad that you <laughs> recognize that because that's a that's something hard to get over when you're steeped in that for so long. Yeah, no, it's 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 it's, a, it's a, the struggle to struggle to believe that they're genuinely upset about something is it's something I had to get used to. Well, what about because conflict resolution? Is there is there any tie in and how conflict resolution was handled? You know, I I say so this kind of funny. You say, funny you say that though is when I worked. So I I was the only full time male staff on a female uh, girls adolescent treatment facility unit for six years. And after about three years on the unit, I started actually running a group on debate, teaching these kids how to argue. Because really? what would happen is they, someone would say, this is my opinion. And the other person would say, this is my opinion. And they go, no, this is my opinion. They go, no, this is my opinion. And then it would degrade into personal attacks. F yeah. you, no, F you, you're stupid. And so no one knew how to argue without being offensive and hurtful and mean. So I used to pick really innocuous ideas and in topics and then teach them how to debate without hurting feelings and not being butthurt if you lose or letting your opinion be changed. And so it's something that I was interested in before. And as an, as a parent, I've actually worked with the girls to like, okay, why are you guys upset at each other? Okay. So how can you solve this? 
and really kind of walk them through this problem solving because there's always going to be conflict because they're siblings. It's just from what I've been told, that's what happens. <laughs> yeah, it is. You know, being having a younger sibling, a younger sister, it totally happens. And my sister and I are great. Like we have a like a fantastic relationship. But there yeah. are certainly and times growing up you have a problem and that's going to happen. To whenever you get a chance, make sure that both you and your sister understand that the reason you guys have that relationship is credit to your parents. They That's taught you true. guys how to have that relationship. They didn't pit you guys against each other. There was no internal competition. There was no favoritism. There was none of that kind of stuff that yeah. happened so that you could have the freedom to have that relationship. No, it's true. Except for the part about the favoritism, I'm definitely the favorite. But anyway, <laughs> uh, no, I'm kidding. We all know I've she's got, the favorite. I've got a joke about my situation that I'll tell you off the air. <laughs> okay, I can't wait to hear that. Uh, yeah. What would you say to parents maybe who are wondering like, what are some ways I can handle conflict resolution between my kids? I really, it's just a matter of making them listen to each other. You sit down, the whole joke about hug it out. I don't make them hug it out. I make them sit down and, uh, work it out. In fact, it, for when they were both really young, when things would get loud and crazy and they'd start fighting, we'd send them both to their room. We wouldn't figure out who did what we just say, Oh, you guys are fighting. You're both going to your room. Yeah. Sh shoot. Why not do it? Because, and what would happen was that, caused them to start problem solving on before it got to that point. Yeah. They would start figuring it out. Okay. Why are we upset? And then we talk through it later. That's and fantastic. so now if someone's getting on someone's nerves, someone, it usually it changes. Okay. Why are we fighting? What's, what's the point? What are we trying to get here? Yeah. And sometimes it works itself out and sometimes it doesn't. But the fact that they're trying at 10 and 14 means that when they're 24 and 20, it should be just fine. I like to end the show on a note of words of wisdom. So if you were to think back to a young Hammond Chamberlain or anybody who was in a similar situation to you, a tired new dad, a, a scared, a, a nervous new dad, what would you say to that person to maybe help them get through that time in their life? Um, trust in your spouse because – whatever reason your spouse, your partner, whatever it's going to be, you're, you're, they're called your better half for a reason. And when it comes to parenting, it feels like that things just come more naturally. I know that they, it's the appearance of coming more naturally. Cause I know that moms and spouses and significant others struggle just as much as everybody else, but the appearance of it coming naturally is there. And if you talk to them and rely on them and work as a team, it all kind of gets it all gets worked out. I love that. All right. Well, Hammond, I appreciate you sharing your story. This has been awesome. Thank you very much. Hey, no worries. And uh, you know what? Let, let's do a little plug thing. OK, so I got my listeners here. Why don't you take a second to tell everybody all the, the, the goodness that you put out there on the Internet? So my first show. Uh, is an interview show called Beyond the Playlist with J. Hammond C. And it's an exploration of creativity. So I talk to blue-collar creatives, people who I feel like everyone should know, but no one, you, not many people do. Um, I feel like they should be household names, but they're not. Uh, and I talk to them. And I've been doing that show every week for the last six and a half years. I've never missed a week. And you, yeah, you have never missed a week. Yeah. Ever. That's amazing like I, and I in some weeks i put out two god good for you man 
And then I do soundography, which is a crash course in music, one band at a time with Brian Ibbett. We just recorded our uh, Ozzy Osbourne solo career episode today. Solid. I love it. Actually, doing that, I'm sorry. We recorded the intro for it today. We're doing the actual recording of the episode on Monday. Very cool. And then I do a show called Green, Ag- Green Acres and Ham, which is just me and uh, another lady talking. It's kind of a talk show, kind of generic, just hanging out. Because I don't have a place where I could just be me and tell funny stories about what's happened to me or just kind of do something other than be creative or talk music. So I created that show. It's a little bit slow to come out because she just got engaged. So, you know, she's a little distracted being – Understandable. Yeah, she's a little distracted getting ready. And also she's a full-time farmer. So uh, she's also just busy taking care of animals. And then I produce a show called Women Kick Ass and it's a – interview show that's hosted by Danielle Bergio, who is an award-winning director and stunt woman. And she interviews other badass women in Hollywood, directors, filmmakers, stunt women. Um, we've interviewed the lady who did all the stunt work for, uh, Electra. We've interviewed the original stunt woman for wonder woman. Uh, we interviewed the first stunt woman to come out of Iran. We've, we, it just lots and lots of really cool, stories to be told there that about the stunt neat. industry and women in the stunt in- industry. Very cool. And then I produce uh top podcasting idol. Yeah. America's next top podcasting idol winner thingamajigger. Yep. Um, all the names. No, America's next top podcaster.com. That's a great, that was a great experience. And, and, you know, we're bringing it right back full circle again. That is where you and I met and it has been uh, an honest pleasure getting to spend a lot of time with you over the internet, also in Vegas. Uh, just an absolute pleasure. And it's funny, you call yourself an introvert. Uh, you still interact with more people than I did, I bet. Oh, well, yeah, but I'm exhausted afterwards, dude. <laughs> like, I'm on the high of this conversation right now, and, and this is great, but I guarantee you, after we hang up, 10 minutes, I'm going to be like, oh my god, I need to sleep. Oh, I was going to say, I thought you were going to say you need a drink. Oh, well, I'm already doing that. I always I always drink a beer whenever I'm I'm doing a podcast. So I found myself I can't I can't eat or drink because I finally I feel like it makes too much noise no matter what I do. Oh, I've gotten good at it, Hammond. You just gotta have the little the little lean away from the mic and then take a sip and then you come right back and you're good. And I even have a push button on the floor that turns my mic on and off. Oh man, I'm, that's fancy. I've got a foot controlled mute on my floor that I don't even have to uh even move or reach for it's just under my foot all the time so even if i have to cough or burp or whatever i just turn off the mic and then turn it back on see right there i just pushed the mute button and i burped and it was no problem yeah see and i can turn off the mic yep oh wait wait, where did he go oh there he is oh wow you had no idea yeah that's great dude podcasting man podcasting friends out there uh, if you'd uh, like to check out more of H- what Hammond does, uh, go do that. I, I love all the content that you put out and um, look forward to more goodness coming out of Top Podcaster in Season 2. So again, our guest has been Hammond Chamberlain. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Special thanks again to Hammond Chamberlain. It was awesome to hear your story, uh, how you came out on the other side of being a new parent, uh, feeling more empowered than ever. And also some really awesome tidbits on how to manage your time as a busy parent. That was really, really awesome. Now, I want to remind you guys, if you enjoyed what you heard today and you would like to support this show, please do. Head to thedadchronicle.com. There's a button at the top that says become a patron. 
When you click that, there are a bunch of really cool tiers that you can uh, click on to support this show and you get different rewards for doing so. Every little bit counts. So I certainly do appreciate the support. If you'd like to contact us and be a part of this conversation, email the dad chronicle podcast at gmail.com. If you would like to follow what I do on social media, you can do so by following at Alex Albisu. My last name is spelled A L B as in boy, I S as in Sam, U. Uh, yeah, I'm that, at that on all the social medias, all the social medias. So until next time, take care. If you like this show, check out more great content at incastmedianetwork.com.